From the Folger Shakespeare Library, this is Shakespeare Unlimited. I'm Michael Whitmore, the Folger's director. One thing we keep an eye out for with Shakespeare Unlimited is the original and even eye-popping ways that Shakespeare and his works show up in popular culture. We've looked at Shakespeare on film. We've talked with an author who rewrote the Star Wars trilogy in the style of a Shakespearean drama. And now we look at comic books. Since 2010, Connor McCreary and Anthony Del Cole have been publishing a comic book series under the title Kill Shakespeare. As you'll hear, they've taken Shakespeare's most popular characters and teamed them up in rival warring camps bent on seizing control of the kingdom that is the world of Shakespeare's plays. We had this conversation while Connor and Anthony were at Comic-Con in New York in 2015 for the release of their new book, a volume that combines all the Kill Shakespeare comics in a single book, complete with annotations by leading Shakespeare scholars. We call this podcast, I Have O'erheard a Plot of Death Upon Him. Connor and Anthony are interviewed by Barbara Bogave. When I first heard of your title, I thought of Kill Bill, Quentin Tarantino's uh, movies, and I thought that's just too perfect. And then I heard that that was part of your inspiration. So how did this whole project come together, and what's the Kill Bill connection? <laughs> that is actually how it did come together. Connor and I were sitting around brainstorming ideas for uh, video games, of all things, almost 11 years ago, and the title Kill Bill came up in our conversation. And we thought, hey, that would make an amazing video game, but I'm sure it's already been done. So then we started to play on that name, like, what if, you know, Kill Bill, what if it was another Bill? And eventually came to Kill Bill Shakespeare. And all of a sudden, those light bulbs, bing, the light bulbs went off. And we thought, that would be so cool, all of Shakespeare's characters on this revenge quest for him. And then we looked into it and discovered that no one had done that before. So, yeah, we got, again, we got even more excited because we thought maybe we could be the individuals to bring this to life. And did you have a sense of, of destiny with this? Are you both huge Shakespeare fans? Uh, yeah, I mean, yes and no, I think. I think one of the reasons why this project appealed to us is we both, I mean, we both really enjoyed Shakespeare. I mean, Anthony likes to talk about, you know, his birth of, Sha- his, birth of his Shakespeare love kind of came from two places. One was from his sister. Uh, who has always loved the classics and kind of instilled that in Anthony. And actually, uh, Anthony and his family, they like to go to the Stratford Festival, which is just outside of Toronto, which is this amazing Shakespearean festival. But by the same token, I mean, neither Anthony or I, you know, we're not English majors. We didn't study this to any deep regard at school, but we both loved Shakespeare. We both had moments in our high school years where we remembered really kind of understanding Shakespeare and, you know, the the light bulb went on again and we're like oh my gosh Shakespeare's amazing you know you know I was a comic fantasy adventure nerd and you know reading something like The Tempest I'm like oh my gosh that's the kind of stuff I like and so when we started this project one of the things that really we were passionate about was the fact that hey here's two guys who are not you know experts but we love the bard and so many people we think do love Shakespeare and are either afraid to admit it because they feel they don't know enough or They're afraid to admit it because they feel they haven't been given the right keys to the Shakespearean kingdom. Uh, and we just wanted to kind of show to everybody how amazing these characters are and why they stood the test of time and why anybody can pick up our comic book or go see a play and fall in love with Shakespeare because it's really accessible. And, you know, there's a reason why these are, you know, arguably the greatest characters of all time. Well, let's give everybody a, a window into your series. And you set the premise really early on. Richard III tells Hamlet that it's Hamlet's job to free us from the tyranny of William Shakespeare, hence kill Shakespeare. What is the tyranny? 
The tyranny, basically, is that Richard, um, who, spoiler alert, is teamed up with Lady Macbeth, they want to control all of Illyria. They, it's a power grab, um, and they've, t- they've assumed the power. However, uh, Shakespeare is this magical wizard that's out there. He's sort of this wild card. And if they believe, you know, uh, half the world believes that Shakespeare is their creator, their god, and the other half believes that he's an evil wizard. Um, and so Richard and Lady Macbeth believe that if they get rid of this wild card Shakespeare, then they will have full run of the place. And there are good guys and there are bad guys, but is it entirely clear who's who? I mean, not always, right? I mean, I think that's one of the great things about Shakespeare. One of the characters we, we really love to use is Iago, who, uh, you know, the Shakespeare fans among your audience, which I imagine is most of your audience, well, no, you know, Iago is not necessarily a guy you can take at face value. But, you know, a lot of Kill Shakespeare is about asking what-if questions. So one of the questions we ask is, well, what if Iago really wanted forgiveness? You know, is that something that Iago can actually handle? Or would that just be another uh, another mask that he wears. Uh, but yeah, as you go on, I mean, there are characters that you would probably think of as good guys, I suppose, in Shakespeare who, you know, ultimately are are not, I would argue. Um, and then, you know, there are some characters like Falstaff being a good example. Is, is Falstaff a good guy? I mean, can you call him a good guy? In our, in our comic series, he definitely seems like one. But I think, you know, there are many, many essays written on, you know, the morality of Falstaff and whether, you know, is he somebody you should really like or not? And that's kind of the fun with Shakespeare is, is taking these characters and, you know, we try to be very faithful to where they come from in their plays. But once we get a hold of them, you know, all, all bets are off in terms of what might come next. And that really is what's so interesting and, and, and rich about Shakespeare is the moral gray ground. And I suppose you explore that with this idea, as you said, Shakespeare is a wizard, but he's also he's a god, he's a tyrant. It's not really clear who Shakespeare is. Yeah, that's sort of the enigma or the puzzle of this entire piece. Um, and it's really interesting because, I mean, of course, we the, the centerpiece of all of this is Hamlet. So we like to joke, but really at the end of, at the, at the core of the story, I mean, Hamlet's uh, dilemma is to kill or not to kill this wizard named Shakespeare. <laughs> you know, one really interesting thing I read somewhere that suggested that in your books, it's always the heroes who embrace change while it's the villains who are loyal to the past or, or perhaps they're, they're rigid in terms of their identity and, and growth or lack of growth. Connor, was that the intention on your part? You know, it's funny. When, that, when the question was asked, Anthony and I kind of looked at each other and we said, yeah, you know, now that we think of it, that really is this sort of invisible guiding line that we'd followed without knowing it. And I think, you know, part of it comes from just the, the basic rule of drama, right? You want, your, you want your main character or characters to change. You want to see them grow. And the people who are learning are the people who are getting better at life in general. And so our heroes are, yeah, they're getting better at life. They're, they're not making the same mistakes. They're figuring out uh, ways to overcome what's holding them back. And the villains, yeah, for the most part, the villains stay the course. And because of their unwillingness to change, or their, un- their inability to see that there's a need to change, you know, they often, you know, they often are hoisted by their own petard, to borrow a little bit of Shakespeare. Um, you know, and that's why some of the characters are kind of fun. I think, I think that's where the tragedy in both Shakespeare and Kill Shakespeare comes from. It's in that character where, where you can see that they see another path, a way to change, a way to grow, and yet they refuse to take it. And, you know, there is a little bit of that in Kill Shakespeare. And certainly for us in Shakespeare, that was, you know, some of our favorite characters are those type of characters. And just to help people follow along the plot, Hamlet and Juliet are your principal protagonists. So this is a mashup. Why do you choose them? Well, Hamlet is 
arguably the greatest character ever created. So why not put him at the centerpiece? He is the character that every actor wishes to portray at some point in their lives. Um, and he's such a, a ball of contradictions. I mean, most people will say that uh, Hamlet is the most, you know, his 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 tragic flaws, um, you know, he's he's too inactive, but I would argue, of course, that he's the most active person in that play. He's, he, he believes that he's righteous and that's really his downfall. Um, but I mean, it just, it just seemed inevitable that Hamlet would be the, the main character. However, having said that, the first incarnation of Kill Shakespeare had someone from today's world. It could be you, it could be me, who finds this portal into this quote unquote Shakespeare land. And we tried that out. And unfortunately, the tone was a little off. It kind of felt more like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure instead of Lord of the Rings, which is what we truly desired for this. So we decided, decided to uh, then go back to Hamlet, or you know, we decided that Hamlet would be the right person. We found the jumping in point. And for Juliet as the um, the major female lead in this, uh, and arguably the strongest the strongest character of all of them in this in our story, Juliet is the most I guess you could argue she's the most well-known character that that Shakespeare ever created. And so we, we thought it'd be amazing to put her in here, but a different incarnation of her. Who would Juliet be eight years after if she had survived? If Romeo had died, but she survived, what would she be like? And uh, subsequently, what would she be like when she meets Hamlet? So again, this what-if situation, a kind of fan fiction approach. Yeah, that's actually, I and mean, that kind of stems from our comic background. And when I was a kid, one of my favorite series of comics to read was something called What If. Marvel presents What If. And it would take these famous, you know, Wolverine, you know, you know, the love of his life dying in his arms. And what if he'd gotten there just five minutes earlier and they'd spin a tale telling you how either nothing would change at all or, you know, the whole world as you knew it as a comics fan would have been totally different if only. And yeah, and for us, I mean, that's that's one of the things that's so great about Shakespeare. I mean, I think one of the reasons his stories have held the test of time is because there's all these moments in his plays where you think, wow, like that was the other path that Hamlet could have taken or Romeo or King Lear or Prospero. Like they, they could have taken this other path that I would have believed if they had. And oh my gosh, how different would it have been if? And, you know, we've, and that's what we try to do with Hamlet. You know, what if, what if he doesn't get back to Denmark? Is Hamlet bloody-minded by nature? What if Iago wanted redemption? What if Prospero decided to kill his brother on that island? Asking those questions was, I would say, it was you know, it was, it was a ton of the fun of doing this project because we get into these great discussions of like, yeah, what could have happened? And and that's really the heart of Kill Shakespeare is just trying to ask interesting what if questions, and then you know, at that point, I guess it kind of becomes fan fiction. Well, what if your critics uh, picked up on something really interesting about your portrayal of Hamlet? And that, it was essentially that you guys got rid of all the other characters that drive the conflict in the actual play. For instance, in, in, in your series, Kill Shakespeare, there's no Horatio, there's no Ophelia, there's no Laertes. And instead, you've, you've gathered this bunch of characters from the rest of the Shakespeare canon to fill the gap. So what was the thinking there? And is it is it again this what if? What if we just explode the concept? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of that. I mean, I think it's twofold. I mean, one is if we kept Ophelia and Laertes, you know, Claudius, Gertrude, Hamlet was going to be dealing then with the exact same things he was dealing with in his play. And that was not going to necessarily give us an opportunity to do something different with him. Or you fall in kind of the trap of, well, that's not really what happened in the play, but it's all the same players. So... Uh, you know, is, is this genius or is this just kind of dumb? Um, in fact, one of our first reviews talked about how they, how uh, Kill Shakespeare crossed the line between genius and stupidity so often they couldn't quite tell which side it belonged on. Um, which, <laughs> you know, which you know, which you sound somehow proud of. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I mean, hey, at least half the time we were genius. Um, 
But no, I mean, I think giving these other characters coming in, I think that's what, you know, that's the mashup. That's what it makes interesting is Hamlet is still going to deal with Hamlet's problems. It's really important to Hamlet to do things right, to be right. And so we give him this question of, okay, you're going to be tasked with deciding whether Shakespeare is 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 God or whether he is the source of all tragedy. You know, and, and giving him a character like Juliet to play with or someone like Falstaff, they can fulfill the same roles as other characters did in Hamlet's play, but it allows Hamlet a totally fresh perspective so that, yeah, he isn't always sitting there going, my uncle is sitting on my father's throne and everything I have to do has to be about getting rid of that. It, it, it frees Hamlet to kind of, you know, I guess arguably be the guy he probably would have been in university before he shows up when the play begins and yeah, you know, is this angry young man who's, you know, oh, and by the way, your father's about to come back and tell you that it's got to be bloodshed or nothing. Well, shifting gears a bit to the comic book side of this, how are comic books as a medium similar to theater? And did you find them as you got more and more into this into this project very akin to each other? Well, it's funny. I you know, Connor mentioned that he was a big comic book fan. I myself... I was never big into comics when I was younger. I read a couple, but I never really got into it. You know, I always thought they were superheroes and men's, uh, you know, men in tights and capes and that sort of thing. Um, and it wasn't until we had come up with the idea of Kill Shakespeare, we were just trying to find the right medium to bring this story to life. I mean, whether it was stage, whether it was film or TV, whether it was video game, whatever the whatever the medium was. But really, Connor was the one that kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities of storytelling in the comic book medium. I mean, he introduced me to titles like Fables or Why the Last Man or The Walking Dead. Uh, and it just made me realize there's so much, so much you can tell in the medium of comics. If you wanted to paint a huge pirate battle, you know, which Shakespeare talked about in the play Hamlet, but you never actually see, if you want to illustrate that, if you want to bring that to life, you can do so. And so it we, it just kind of clicked at that at that very moment, and we decided, hey, let's do Kill Shakespeare as a comic book series, because we've always argued that Shakespeare's productions, his stories, his plays are very kinetic. They're full of energy, they're full of excitement, and you can capture that on the pages of the comic book. And Connor, can you speak to the process, how you conceptualize this? I know the artist, Andy Belanger, is the the person who crafts the images and breathes life into them. But I, I wonder, do you all sit around and say, well, we should have a series of panels where you, you, in this panel we should have a close-up of, of Juliet, and then, then the next one we should see Othello in a silhouette against a, a battle? How does it work? I mean, kind of, kind of just like that. I mean, there's kind of two steps with comics. One is the writing aspect, and then one is... Uh, the artist taking the script and, you know, and turning it into visuals. Our process is, you know, Anthony and I will sit down and we'll say, okay, well, what's this story about? And we'll go back and forth and we'll talk and we'll chat and, you know, uh, you know, we'll threaten, we'll do whatever we need to do to get this story going. How and dare you? you know, Yard one. <laughs> I bite my a, thumb at you, there sir. There is a lot of thumb biting, actually, <laughs> in the first early stages of any Kill Shakespeare comic. Um, so, yeah, once we've kind of figured out what we think the story is, then what normally happens is one of us will take one issue and then the other guy takes the next issue. And then we flip them back and forth. So, you know, Anthony will write a draft and I'll, I'll be like, hey, what if we tried this? He'll be like, oh, that's a great idea. And, you know, I, I did that and, you know, now I've got this even better idea. And once that's all done, a comic script is actually in a weird way. It, it's not really meant to be read in the same way as a, a novel uh, or actually the end product of a comic book is. It's really more of a letter to the artist trying to inform them as to how this story could work. And so we will go and say, hey, there's going to be six panels. Panel one is this. Panel two is this shot. Panel three is going to have Hamlet doing this. 
But with Andy Belanger, we gave him, you know, basically carte blanche to come forward and say, hey, guys, I've got a better way to do this. And so there's this kind of one, uh, for Andy, famous scene early in the comic series, which uh, uh, Hamlet's on the on the pirate ship with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, and he's talking about this central question for him, which is, okay, am I going to go to England and raise an army and come back and lay waste to Denmark? Or do I need to turn my back on vengeance? And in the background of this conversation he's having are this statue of his father coming out of the water. And there's crowns and there's swords. And it's this very interesting visual montage. And none of that was in the script. You know, it, it, honestly, it took us a little while to get it. He drew it and we were like, okay, wow, that's totally different than what we would have done. But that's really cool. And for a lot of people who first read that first issue, that ended up being one of the iconic moments in Kill Shakespeare where they're like, wow, this is this is a different type of comic book. Uh, and that, I think, is the really great thing of comics is it's not just the writer's idea. It's not just the artist. It's always going to be this really cool synthesis. And in that way, I guess it's kind of like theater. You know, you've got the director, you've got the actors, you've got the, the set deck. And because it's live, it's always slightly different as opposed to, you know, your film is going to be the same every time you see it. But theater and comics issue by issue... They, they evolve and they change in a very interesting and unique way. Right. There's tremendous life in it. And the artwork, I have to say, is, is, is pretty stunning. It's a very dark palette, and there's a lot of red and purple as, as dramatic focal points. And it's very Elizabethan somehow, I think. And I, earlier you mentioned Lord of the Rings. I read somewhere that that, that was one of, your, of Andy Belanger's inspirations for the, for the look of the series. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and he has brought so much to kill Shakespeare. I mean, really, Connor and I, have, we, we've done a lot of research. Uh, you know, as we started to work on this, we started to reread a, a number of the plays, you know, just try to get into the characters, try to get into the their original stories. But Andy's, the amount of research that Andy did really, really surpassed what we did. When we first sat down with him, first of all, within five minutes, he slammed his hand on the table and said, I've always wanted to draw Lady Macbeth. I'm in. Uh, and then five minutes after that, he started to talk about what he was really envisioning. And this is just after hearing just the very basics of what the story was. And he talked about how he wanted to put so much detail into every single panel as though if you're in the Merry Wives of Windsor, which in Kill Shakespeare is a brothel, if you're there, then you can feel like you're actually there. You feel like you can see the details on the wall or on the tables or in the people on stage or whatnot. And yeah, I mean, he just has this real... He's been able to, to create these really great portraits or illustrations of exactly what that Elizabethan society would have been like. Of course, it's our own little twist on it, but he looked... Lord of the Rings was a huge influence on him. European comics were an influence on him. And and you mentioned the, the horror aspects of it. I mean, he's big into EC horror comics from the... Uh, from the mid-century or so. Um, and that was, you know, a lot of those influences, and that's one of the reasons why we really wanted to work with him, and that's why we really think Kill Shakespeare does work. Well, getting away from the visuals for a moment and back to kind of the heart of Shakespeare, the language, I am curious how you thought about dialogue, because it seems as if you want to give the flavor of Shakespeare without going the whole uh, Shakespeare nine yards, really. You know, no iambic pentameter, not too many obscure Elizabethan metaphors. So what was your approach to the language in the series? I mean, the number one thing we always thought about is we, we wanted it to be accessible. You know, we wanted somebody who knew nothing about Shakespeare to be able to pick up this this comic book and to be pulled in by the story. And I think, you know, I think for a lot of people, the biggest challenge when they first encounter Shakespeare is the language, you know, which is ironic because, of course, it's the language that defines Shakespeare. But, you know, for, you know, it is, it's tough, especially, you know, especially when you learn it in school, you know, and all of a sudden you, it's, you know, it's 
almost all but a foreign language that you're being asked to pick up, understand, and even worse, we test you on it so you can get it wrong and feel like an idiot. And that's that's the last thing we wanted anybody to do with Kill Shakespeare. So yeah, we want we definitely wanted to be able to approximate some of the Bard's poetry. I mean, we definitely use Shakespearean lines. We put them in there often as Easter eggs. Uh, and I think as the series goes on, I mean, there's four books in the series so far. As the series goes on, I think we started to find our own space in the language. And, you know, people have said to us, like, yeah, your guy's writing became its own thing, its own poetic form, which became less and less an imitation of Shakespeare and more your own thing. And yet somehow actually that makes it in a way almost more Shakespearean, which is a really lovely compliment to get. So, yeah, but I mean, yeah, we, we, you know, we wanted to make sure that if you were a Shakespeare fan and you read through this book, that there were going to be little Easter eggs for you. You're going to say, oh, that was clever. They really, they've done some homework. But at the same token, it was, you were, you could hand this to this, you know, 12 year old kid who hasn't even encountered Shakespeare yet. And they could devour these comic books and love this action adventure story. And they'd pick up some Shakespearean language, but at no point would they be stuck sitting there going, oh my gosh, I don't know what's happening because I don't know what this word is. Well, did um, you have a model then that you were following? Because a lot of people have tried this. So I'm thinking of the movie Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's, it's, I'm glad that you brought that up because our, our model was Tom Stoppard. And so, yeah, we, we looked to his work. We looked to Shakespeare in Love, which I think is one of the greatest screenplays of all time. So we looked at Shakespeare in Love and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead as our two models because these were plays uh, or uh, creations uh, that really mined that sort of middle ground where it could be accessible for everyone today, but also harken back to the uh, language of the 1600s. Well, I'm curious if you had any set rules, though, about what you would or wouldn't change about the language, what what famous quotes you wouldn't or would mess with. And in the same token, uh, what you would and wouldn't do about the time, because as, as we said in the beginning, you, you've set up this world uh, of a mashup of Shakespearean characters, which means that it's a mashup of of time periods, historical time periods, because the plays take place in in many different uh, centuries. Well, in terms of rules, the number one rule that I set down right from the very beginning was a very simple one, no tights. Absolutely, no tights. Um, I you, mean, you, you laugh, but there would be long arguments between Anthony and Andy when Andy would argue that they were just really long boots. And Anthony would say, "Those look like tights. They look like, like tights. They're colored. They're good." I, no I may tights. have lost. I may have lost. I think I might have lost a month of my life actually hearing those back and forth. Oh, the night, no tight rule. Oh, the irony of superhero comics and you know a comic with no comic, a Shakespeare comic with no tights. In terms of rules, in ter- um, with respect to time periods. Uh, I guess our major rule was the historical plays were ones that we decided that wouldn't we wouldn't touch. I mean, the general rule of thumb, if we want to boil it down to something very simplistic again, is if it's a play where togas uh, play a major role, then that means it's not going to be in Kill Shakespeare. So something like Julius Caesar or Antony and Cleopatra, uh, although the historical ones such as uh, Richard III or even some of the Henrys, those ones we kind of, when you... When you look at them, or or when people today, you know, again, 400 years after Shakespeare wrote his works, when you look at them, they kind of just feel like they're in this sort of 1500s, 1600s, medievally, Elizabeth, medievally, Medieval, era, yes, the general so, medievalish, 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 yeah. medievalish. <laughs> medievalesque. 
<laughs> Never let it be said that we were not willing to prey on the general the general lack of knowledge that we have in modern day society over anything that's like 16, 1200, 1600. That's all the same time, right? If anything there's an Star ignorance bone to pick, you will pick it. <laughs> <laughs> Happily so. We did a podcast with the author of the William Shakespeare's Star Wars series, and we um, asked him who gets more upset about his mashup, the Star Wars people or the Shakespeare people. And he said he was more concerned about the Star Wars people because they're so persnickety about what's right and what's wrong. So how have you guys fared in that regard? I mean, that was a, you know, we did have a bit of a concern when we first came out and that was sort of exacerbated because the first review we got was from an, an apparent Shakespearean scholar named Kimberly Cox. I'm not quite sure that what language is allowed in this interview session, so I won't actually repeat the words she used, but some of them were salty language. Um, she she did say that she said the story made her vomit in her mouth. Um yeah, and she said she wanted to um, a word that re- rhymes with which slap us for doing this comic. Um, so that classy, was kind of the first thing. Classy. That, <laughs> hey, she's a um, That was kind of the first review that came out of the shoot. But it was actually followed. The same article had two other Shakespearean scholars who also reviewed the piece. One said, "Well, it's not Shakespeare, but it's a heck of a lot of fun." And the other one argued very passionately, like, "No, this is Shakespeare. This is part of the tradition of adapting Shakespeare, and this is why Shakespeare stays alive because of things like kill Shakespeare." And so we actually just, uh, you know, we're here in New York actually at the uh, New York Comic Con, and we're actually debuting a book in New York, uh, which is our backstage edition, which is this hardcover collection of the first couple of books, and it's actually completely annotated by some of the top Shakespearean scholars. So everything from who is Hamlet? If you have absolutely no knowledge of Shakespeare, great. We're going to tell you who Hamlet is. To little things like, oh, if you look early in the second issue, there's a coat of arms hanging behind Richard III's throne. Whose coat of arms is that? As it turns out, it's Shakespeare's family's coat of arms. And so, yeah, these scholars, we were amazed by how many scholars have came to us and said, we want to be part of this project. This is so cool. So for the most part, Shakespeare scholars are really cool. As you as you identified earlier, uh, this is this is fan fiction, and I mean Shakespeare academics and scholars are fans. So, in most cases, they love to play in this sort of world of fan fiction. Well, one of you said in another interview something that I think gets to this, and also really gets to the maybe the essence of the of the project, and that was that most people don't have a neutral relationship to Shakespeare. They're either really big fans, or they feel it's not for them. You're either in or you're out. So, so are you trying to bridge that gap? Absolutely. That has been the number one. You know, if there was a mission statement for Kill Shakespeare, then that would be it. It's uh, to shine a whole new spotlight on Shakespeare for a whole new uh, audience or a whole new generation. Uh, you know, get those people that are that have never been big into Shakespeare, whether they've had bad experiences by going to see very poorly done productions or really bad teachers in elementary school or high school teaching them Shakespeare, and have them read an, uh, an issue or uh, one of the books of Kill Shakespeare and then realize, oh, you know what, that Hamlet is pretty cool, or Juliet, or or any of these other characters. And then perhaps they'll go see Shakespeare in the Park next summer, or they'll go see production. Uh, and on, you know, uh, conversely, we've had a lot of Shakespeare fans who have never read a comic book before, but they read Kill Shakespeare, and then all of a sudden they're like, huh, this is really interesting. Like, what other interesting stories are told in this in this format? And we often give suggestions. And the greatest piece of fan mail we've ever received was from a uh, 12-year-old girl from St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador in Canada. And she had read Romeo and Juliet in class. This is what she wrote to us. And she hated it. She did not understand Juliet. She was whiny, and I didn't like her. And then her quote-unquote cool aunt gave her Kill Shakespeare for Christmas. And she read it. She loved it. She devoured it. And she wrote us just saying how much it made her now finally understand Juliet. Uh, and how she had wished she had read this before. She had read 
the play in class. And more importantly, that she was really looking forward to reading, reading Hamlet next year. So when we when we receive something like that, when we talk to people at conventions or in interviews or anything like that, and people tell us how much they've been affected by this or inspired to consume more Shakespeare to us, I mean, that's that's that makes this entire project a success. So you think of yourself as kind of a cure for that awful Shakespeare anxiety that so many people have that you were talking about earlier in, in the yeah. conversation? You're kind of like the Valium to treat, to treat our Shakespeare. <laughs> we're drug pushers. Fear. We're Shakespeare pushers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, Shakespeare should be fun. I mean, if you, made, if you made people take Star Wars in grade seven English, you leached the fun out of it. And I think for a lot of people, too, like some people take to Shakespeare very naturally. And then if you don't, I think for the yeah the rest of your life you have this relationship with Shakespeare of like oh well I'm not the smart kid I'm not smart enough for Shakespeare Shakespeare's too clever for me and yeah and we just want to, I mean that wasn't you know Shakespeare you know he's the reason why I think he's he's held the test of time is because his plays were meant for everybody whether you're a groundling or royalty Shakespeare was for you and I think that was something that's been lost a little bit I think it's definitely coming back and I think it's really cool that Kill Shakespeare is part of a wave of people who love Shakespeare and are doing things that make Shakespeare accessible. But yeah, if we, if we, you know, if we can make just one child a little less nervous to go into grade 8 English, then we've done our job. Well, you but guys, if you could sell that the comics to like 50,000 of his friends, that'd be cool too. Connor, Anthony, it has been so much fun talking with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been a real treat for us. Connor McCreary and Anthony Del Cole are co-authors of the Kill Shakespeare comic book series. They were interviewed by Barbara Bogave. I Have Overheard a Plot of Death Upon Him was produced by Richard Paul. Garland Scott is the associate producer. It was edited by Gail Kern-Pastor and Esther Farrington. We had help from Bob Ald and Deb Stephopoulos at the Radio Foundation in New York and Andrew Feliciano at Voice Tracks West Studios in Los Angeles. Shakespeare Unlimited comes to you from the Folger Shakespeare Library. Home to the world's largest Shakespeare collection, the Folger is dedicated to advancing knowledge in the arts. You can find more about the Folger at our website, folger.edu. For the Folger Shakespeare Library, I'm Folger Director Michael Whitmore.